Welcome to STEM Spark, a podcast dedicated to helping teenagers explore different careers in STEM. My name is Mira and I'm your host. As a high schooler myself who is currently struggling with determining my future career path, I created this podcast to hopefully explore some different career options myself while also helping others do the same. Today's conversation is going to be amazing and I'm really looking forward to hearing from our guest, Dr. D'Souza, who is the Director of Global Cell Therapy at um, Johnson & Johnson. And I'll turn, it, and I'll turn it over to Dr. D'Souza herself to introduce herself further, if you'd like to. Sure. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mira, for the invitation. Uh, my name is Katia D'Souza. And as you stated, I am the Director of Global Cell Therapy and Business Strategy at J&J, Johnson & Johnson. Um, and I work on lymphoma, CAR-Ts, and the hematologic malignancy space. I've been at Janssen, or J&J. As, they, as we are called and known fully now for over five years where I've had multiple um, commercial roles, which will be a little bit of a departure. And we'll get into my background of how I reached this commercial place, but I've held roles in business intelligence, um, inline marketing, marketing products uh, for my, multiple myeloma, and now working in global marketing where I'm preparing for the commercialization of new products within lymphoma. So it's been a very circuitous route and one that if you, once you hear about my background, will probably, some of your listeners will be like, how did you end up here and why? So I can't wait to explore that with you. I'm so excited to hear more. Yes. Um, I I would like to start by asking, um, like kind of going back and like talking about um, some of your educational journey and how that led you to where you are. Um, so like first, what did you study in college? All right. So in college, I went to Mount Holyoke College in Western Massachusetts, and my major was biochemistry. And even before college, I knew that I wanted to study biochemistry. Um, I was always interested in it. And as soon like I declared my major, like my first semester, which is unlike, you didn't have to declare until the end of your sophomore year, but I was like, nope, this is what I want to do. So um, that was sort of the formal education that I had in college. <laughs> I knew very early on that I wanted to do that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Was like, so you said you had known previously, um, what made you so interested in STEM and biochemistry as a kid? So my dad worked at Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. He wasn't a scientist, not a doctor. He worked in their support function. And as a kid, I spent a lot of time around all these medical students and at this medical school. And there was a biochemistry professor, Dr. Cyril Moore. And he saw that I was interested in science, so and I just just there, <laughs> and I looked up to him. I thought he, you know, fabulous role model, just really nice person. And I'm like, yes, I want to also be a biochemist. I had no idea what that meant, <laughs> really, but it just kind of stuck. And then, as I got more interested in uh, science research, so um, back in the in the '90s. 30 years ago. Wow. Okay. Sorry. That just washed over me that it was the 90s of years ago. I apologize. Um, no problem. I, I had the opportunity to participate in a high school honor science program at Michigan State. Um, and I participated as a result of that. And it was called Westinghouse. And I got interested in research and 
I worked in a biochemistry lab at Michigan State. So that really kind of helped reinforce that even in high school, that that was something I was interested in. So when, and then when I was, I took AP biology in high school as well. And my professor, um, and she was also a PhD in biochemistry and she just happened to have trained with Dr. Moore when she was in grad school. So it just oh, wow. felt like this weird serendipity full circle moment that I'm like, okay, all right, I guess this is definitely what I'm interested in because I'm being pushed <laughs> and funnel in this direction and I'm getting energy and enjoying studying it. So that was sort of the, the, when I got to college, I knew, I was like, okay, everything I've been working towards and towards this made sense to me to pursue this. And I really enjoyed it. And my mentor in college was excellent. It was a fantastic biochemist and really, you know, mentored me. And, you know, I think that was also a common thread throughout my, all my education is having really good, strong mentorship and which you know, I think it's so important that you have those guiding lights along the way. So, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. That's, that's amazing. I think it's so, it's so cool that you'd like known so from such a young age. I feel like that's, I feel like there's a lot of people like at the school that I go to, some people are like, I know exactly what I want to do. Other people are like, I have no idea. So it's, it's really, it's really cool to hear about that. Um, I think that the one of the things that my dad used to, one of the things that my dad used to tell me um, was in terms of like knowing, is he would always say, you know, I don't really care what you do, just have a goal, <laughs> and it would you'll be able to you'll be able to work through and pivot if it changes, because you know we're going to talk about how even though I had this very straight line goal, I made pivots. So so I know you pursued postgraduate degrees. So if you'd like to talk about that as well, um, after college, yeah, your PhD. Yep. So in college, I did more research. I worked a summer at UCSF in San Francisco. I did summer research, um, at my undergraduate over the summers as well. So I was really firmly headed towards PhD at one point at a very Look back when I was in high school, I thought I was going to pursue an MD PhD, but I then realized that I didn't want to be a medical doctor and much to the chagrin of my parents. So I came to New York, um, Columbia University program was in cell biology. Um, my focus was biochemistry and cell biology, sort of that combination. So looking at the protein, uh, doing like protein biochemistry, but also looking at how that protein impacted cellular processes and uh, microtubule um, and axonal movement. So it was like this combination of bringing some of that raw biochemical stuff to the more practical, how that affects cells and even looking at diseases, which is even a little bit of a foreshadow of now working in pharma on specific diseases as well. So yeah, I pursued that um, and, you know, was able to be successful and publish and that that's where we're going to come to like the first pivot point. So in my vision board and my doodles and my notebooks, <laughs> I was supposed to be a professor. I wanted to right. have my own lab and mentor students because I believe mentorship is very important. But 
when it came time to having essentially the my dream job in front of me, I couldn't take it. And I didn't really fully understand why at the time. But what I came to understand is that one of the things in pursuing a larger research project, and I'm sure you're going to talk to more of my contemporaries who are actually still in research and so I have a lab, you have to have a, that thing that you want to pursue, that question that you want to chase for the rest of your life. I didn't have it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I had to... Yeah, I had to make that decision to say, okay, if that's not what I'm going to pursue, then where else can I apply my love of science, that passion? So Got it. that was sort of that first pivot point. So I finished my postdoc and I realized that I wasn't going to be a scientist in the way that I thought I was. What was I going to do next? Mm-hmm. That's so fascinating. Yeah. I feel like even when I've been doing some research to find other amazing people to interview, a lot of, I've noticed like a lot of people who study science in college end up going the academic professor type of route. Um, and like personally, I'm super interested in science and um, chemistry, biology specifically. Um, but I don't know if like I actually want to pursue like research and like teach at anywhere in the future. So it's like super interesting to hear about other things that can happen after, after pursuing that PhD. So it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Today I had lunch with one of my grad school colleagues and you know, we were both at Columbia at the same time. And she now works in business development at Janssen. And after she finished her PhD, she went into consulting. So it's, there are many paths that you can use your scientific acumen. And it's all about, as we talked about this, it's all about transferable skills. So the things that you're gathering in research and in studying science, it, it can, you all you have to do is be able to relate them to other things, like the ability to do, to look at complicated um, questions and to think very thoughtfully and strategically about problems. It's all about being able to translate it. So it may, you know, there are people that do pursue an academic passion and are successful in that way. And there are other people that say it's not for me or they make a pivot even mid-career and do something different. But it's just about how you transfer your skills. So, like I say, it goes back to that pursuing your goal and having that discipline to to be able to keep moving forward. Definitely, definitely. Um, so moving past your postdoc, um, what what did you do next? What what was your next decision making point? And like, how did you decide what you wanted to pursue after that? So it came down to, and this is also where, you know, you, you say, okay, I know that I don't want to do bench research. I know that I don't want to pursue an academic track because it's also maybe that you decide that I don't want to be a professor, but I still want to be a bench scientist. So you look for opportunities to go further your career in that way. I knew that if I didn't want to, if I was going to be a professor, I didn't want to work at the bench. <laughs> like, I'm like, we're, 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 we're cutting all of that off. But then I also <laughs> wanted to make sure that I could do something that was also for me financially lucrative and to make a little bit more money. Um, I had those goals in mind too. And I don't think that Definitely. there's, I think people want to, you know, like, well, you didn't become a, you didn't go, you didn't become a scientist to make money. And I'm like, right. But I also need to, I'm going to, 
adult human person with college loans that are no longer in four and I need to be able to sustain myself in New York City. So I have to also be very honest about that. But one of the things that I also wanted to do was continue to use all those skills that I gained doing research. So the one of those ways was to go into medical writing. And that was initially what I pursued. And then that turned into a career of doing scientific strategy and medical advertising. So because what I found in the medical writing process especially doing it for commercial products, was there this mix between not just the the data, because the data does tell a story, but you need other aspects to be able to make that story resonate. And using some of the, looking at some of the interplay between business and science and how they work together, that was really interesting to me. So then that became how I viewed every subsequent pursuit after that point. That's, that's amazing. That That's so cool. Um, yeah, I didn't even know that medical writing was like a, a field. Is that like, is that, that's just, I don't know, like, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, so I mean, there's, there's, so I would say it's definitely evolved. Um, but you still have companies where they need people with high scientific acumen to help create medical documents or create commercial documents that have scientific data. You also have people internally that when you're working in a pharmaceutical company and you have the clinical study reports, someone's got to write them <laughs> and true. they have, they need people to write them. So how to like you generate the data for the study, it needs to be written by somebody. So those roles still exist. AI hasn't taken over everything yet. Maybe soon, oh, but yeah. you still need a, there's that cognitive of AI, but you still need some of those soft skills and other things to guide it along. So not yet. Totally. <laughs> you totally. still need someone to review it. <laughs> totally. Totally. Okay. So, um, like, have I, I know you've I, I I know you've done quite a few things before your job now the past five years at um, Johnson and Johnson. So, like, what were some other careers or jobs that you had have pursued in the past before where you are today? Right. So after I left the sort of vendor side of medical advertising, I really wanted to have an opportunity to work on the client side. So I was actually working inside a pharmaceutical company. So in 2013, over two years, oh wow, it's like 10 years ago, um, I moved to I Switzerland. Um, as when I moved oh, to wow. Switzerland, I started working um, at Nevada in medical affairs. So this was the combination of being able to put together the medical writing side of things that I had done because I was responsible for publications and also combining the scientific strategy aspect of the work that I had done because I was part of the medical communication strategy and medical affairs. And I had to work cross-functionally with um, all of the stakeholders in marketing and clinical regulatory. So it really combined a lot of the work that I had done to that point into one role now on the client side, as they call it. And I also got to work and live ex-US. So I got to see, have a, understand what a global mindset is, not just looking squarely, you know, from a US perspective. And I got to travel a lot and that was really fun. <laughs> yes. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, how was it working like for pharmaceutical companies and like, how, how was that for you? 
Yeah. So, I mean, what you have is, you know, you I've worked for two very large companies <laughs> and, you know, you get to things they don't teach you in grad school around matrix organizations because there's no there's no matrix or you know learn anything about organizational <laughs> structures and those kinds of things really um you know, maybe you learn a little about some of the politics of it but you still don't know the scale <laughs> of that until you are in a business environment um i think you know definitely living and working outside of the u.s was a very eye-opening experience because you have to hone ways of communicating and you know the business language is english which is fine but you're also not you're speaking to people that have fluency but not native fluency so one of the things that i learned in switzerland is actually using fewer words for clear communications no jargon you know like no uh -huh. slang that's not translatable because it's without context for some like non-native speakers and you develop sort of the ability to have clarity um, and have an expanded worldview about how you think about problems. Because every, you know, especially dealing with medical systems around the world, the U.S. is very unique in how we administer medicines and how things are paid for and you know, learning about other countries and what the what the communication principles and how even advertising is done um, in those company in those countries it was all very it like gave me a very expansive view. Um. So following this job that you had taken in Switzerland, um, was did you move directly to Johnson and Johnson or was there anything else beforehand? No. So after so my husband got a job back in in New York in the U.S. and we moved back and I took a little bit of a leave to make sure that you know we we're re, re, repatriating back to America. Not as easy as you would think after five years of living somewhere else. <laughs> um, we had reverse cultural shock, especially going from a small town like Basel back to big New York. Um, and. I did I basically the my after Novartis, I started at Johnson and Johnson where I was working in business intelligence and competitive intelligence on the global side. So that was there there was nothing really in between. It was from Novartis and then back to J and J. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Cool. Um so now uh I'll probably ask you questions about like what your current day-to-day -day role is and like how it's like working at Johnson & Johnson. So um, at Johnson & Johnson, like what does your, what does your current role like look like daily? All right. So I'll give you a little bit of description around the role in global versus U.S. So global marketing and, and, and then the global, when you work in global in general, you are really about the future. So you are projecting mm -hmm. two, three years ahead to try to shape where the product will be and to prepare uh, the product for localization in other markets. Because we're called global. That's not a country. That's not a place. <laughs> so we are really responsible for creating the best commercialization structure and infrastructure for then other countries and regions to go localize and launch the product. So right now for my product, it's very early on. So we're starting at the beginning. We don't even have a name for it yet. So we're naming it. We're shaping the clinical strategy for how we will 
actually design our studies. We are talking to health authorities to understand what type of data we need to show and to show up the best for the patients as well. So we're, it's a lot of foundational work that I'm doing right now. Um, and it's, it's interesting because it's not at, it's, you're still in a realm of doing a lot of digging into the science and data. So I'm reading a lot of papers and trying to understand the landscape and trying to understand what other drugs are in the space and understand what the unmet patient needs are to make sure that when we are ready to be out on the market and develop for patients that we are hitting the need of where the patients will be and what they will need. So that is overall, that's really describing my role versus my previous role when I worked in the U.S. where we had the asset, we had all the components, we had everything. Now we were developing the messaging and how we actually send this out into the U.S. market. So it's a very, and it's more in the here and now versus the future. We have to execute on what we have in front of us now versus global preparing for that future state. So in a lot of ways, my day-to-day, lots of meetings, lots of presentations, but it's very collaborative because I'm working with multiple stakeholders. Um, And, you know, everyone has, you know, it's a large organization. It's a matrix. So everyone has their responsibility, but we all kind of overlay each other a little bit. So it's very collaborative in that way. And um, it's, really, you know, we are all trying to have have our piece of the puzzle and, you know, and part of where you sit in marketing is that you have the purview of all the different pieces and you're trying to help organize that structure a little bit. So it's definitely a lot of, a lot of this, a lot of thinking, <laughs> um, a lot of presentation, <laughs> um, but Definitely, uh, I would say very collaborative, very scientific, and very forward thinking is how I view it. Awesome. So I probably should ask this before, but what what actually is global cell therapy and cell therapy in general? Um, I've skipped over that one a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. So I kind of alluded to it a little bit. So when we think about cell therapy, it's it can have a lot of, it can mean a lot of different things to different people, but the particular cell therapy that I work on are CAR T cells. Do you know, you know about CAR T cells? I don't, I don't know. So CAR is chimeric antigen um, receptor activated T cells. So what you do, you take the patient's T cells and you Basically, you take them out, that you apheresis them, and then you treat them with a viral vector in some cases, most of the cases now, that contains these CAR. Basically, you're turning the patient's T-tails into these activated, specific killing machines to really kind of transform different ways of targeted cell killing and really using this whole notion around personalized medicine, because these are the patient cells that you're taking and transforming, and then you put them back into the patient and let them do the work there. So that's the type of cell therapy that we've been working on and we've developed and I worked on before. So Awesome. And um, just for the listener as well, so you do this by creating um, like drugs and pharmaceutical things for the patients, is that correct? Yeah. So the basically it's a it's almost a it's 
In a lot of drug development, you have antibodies, you have pills. This is really kind of like a process where you are taking the patient cells, you're mixing them with your construct, you're transforming those patient cells and putting them back into the patient. So Got it's it. like a process and a drug, but it's kind of, you need, you need them both. <laughs> Just can't have one without, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I, I, I didn't <laughs> even realize that's kind of what we were getting at. So thank mm -hmm. you. You had mentioned you would, you, you never believed that you could have that this is where you would be. No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it. I, and I want to say like, I don't know if it was, I didn't feel like I had a, a limited view. And actually it's really funny. Like I have my own personal brand and my fur, my favorite word is limitless. And I always have felt like I had a very expansive view of what I could do, even if my family's finances didn't necessarily match that view. I'm like, no, I can still get places and do things, but I will just maybe it'll take a different route or a different time. But I think what I always kept a focus on is just being disciplined in my pursuit of whatever I pursued. So once I decided that I wanted to pivot away from being a lab scientist and a bench scientist in academia, um, that pursuit and working and being excellent in that new role that opened me up to other opportunities that opened me up to other opportunities and in and in and in and now. One of the things that I recall when I was in medical advertising, I remember just thinking, like, I think I can do marketing, you know, I'm, but you know, I had no intention of pursuing an MBA or any of that. And I know that there's sort of, there could be traditional paths, but, you know, part of that was just kind of sticking to the things that brought me energy that I enjoyed. So even in the roles that I had that weren't directly marketing, I was building competencies in marketing by looking at how data and business interplay. So I think just having that notion of that's what drove me and that's what I was interested in, it led me to be able to take advantage of opportunities in front of me. So when I was working in competitive intelligence and I knew I wanted to learn more about a marketing competency, they have what they call grow assignments at J&J, &J, where you can go and work on a team and gather different skills. I took a grow assignment on a team, and then I end up joining that team as a permanent member. Mm -hmm. And then I, I worked on that team for almost three years, excelled in that function. And I knew that I wanted to get more in depth into other kinds of marketing. And right. it was as soon as I heard about the in licensing deal for these new products that I'm working on, I'm like, that's the team I'm going to work on. There was not even a job yet. And I'm like, that's the team I'm going to work on. So I was reading everything I could about the deal, reading about the disease error, reading, and I'm like, when that job, when a job comes available, because I know it will, I'm going to apply for it. And literally three months later, a job became available <laughs> and I applied for it and I was able to get the position. But wow. that's what it comes to like being like once I had a, something that I knew in my mind and just being prepared for when the opportunity was going to come. So that's kind of how I think about even though I didn't know it, didn't know I could envision this 30 years ago, mm -hmm. just always being disciplined in the pursuit of what I was pursuing and being prepared for the next thing.
was really important. Yeah, that that's such good advice, honestly. <clears throat> I, I I love like having these conversations because like I mean for this purpose, like I I'm creating it for a podcast, but for me, like I'm learning so much from hearing you speak too. So that's amazing. <laughs> No, I know you said that you were struggling and I'm going to turn the tables on you. I'm like, how do you expect this? But you said that you were, you know, struggling thinking about what you were thinking about in STEM. What are some of those sticking points or like, you know, you're interested in one thing, but what are some of those things that will give you a little pause? Yeah. So for me personally, I mean, um, I like, I'm, I'm super into chemistry, right? Now. I have yet to take bio yet, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. I'll probably take it next year, but like my main struggle is also I don't exactly know like how I want to pursue these fields because like for the longest time I was like I don't want to be a doctor I'm not going to be a doctor it's not going to happen and this year I was like what if I'm a doctor like that maybe I could do that like mm-hmm. and then but then there's all another part of me that's like maybe I want to do like research stuff but then I'm like maybe I don't it's kind of like I know the field I guess or like general types of stuff I want to pursue but I don't exactly know the different careers that I might be interested in which is why like this is so exciting you know my advice would be for you is to stay close to the things that you're passionate in and let those opportunities arise and when those opportunities arise you'll know and it feels sometimes I scratch my head because all the there's so many instinctual um, decisions that I made as a teenager and I'm like I cannot believe my whole life I left up to this one decision. Oh my God, what if I chose something else? Oh my goodness. You know, even down to where I went to college and I, you know, I can play my life in reverse. I'm like, what if I chose a different college? I would have met this friend. I would have done this. And I would have met my husband and all these people. But don't that that's a retrospect conversation, but Mm -hmm. I don't get bogged down in that right now. I think make the, one of the, one of the books that I read is like when you're trying to think about how to manage your time, how to do your things, like do the next necessary thing. So look at what's in front of you and make the best decision and then feel confident that you'll be nimble enough to handle that next thing that comes in front of you. And I think that's how I've always pursued things. I'm like, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I have the tools in front of me to be able to pursue and to handle what's next. And I'm making the most the best decision, the most informed decision based on what my wants, needs, desires, and abilities, I think, are. So don't worry about it. (laughs) It'll all work out. As long as you stay disciplined, it will all work out. (laughs) Yes, that's the the hope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for for having this conversation with me. Like, I, I really appreciate, like, hearing your story and your background and everything. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was my pleasure. So yeah, just keep following your passions and doing those things that you enjoy and be disciplined in the pursuit. And that will be my advice to all of your listeners and everyone. Um, Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of StemSpark. I hope you enjoyed the episode and hearing Dr. Souza's story. Be on the lookout for episode three coming soon. Bye.